Welcome into the Smith Insidle Show. Uh, this is week number five, and we have more than one microphone this week. We believe everything has been fixed, but I guess we'll find out. Jacob Seidel alongside my friend Zach Smith through the computer monitor. And Zach, how's it going, buddy? It's going well, man. Happy week five anniversary. Like we we've been going strong for like a month now. Like that's pretty solid now that we're on podcast form. So I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Happy to be back. Yeah, me too. And we'll start it right off now with our today in sports history. Back in 1909, on the day this is being recorded, which is the 14th of October. The Pirates beat the Tigers 5-4 to four and forced the first full seven-game World Series. Wow. Another one, actually, with baseball back in 1906 was the All-Chicago World Series. And the White Sox got their first World Series victory along with the American League, winning four games to two. Wow, that, that, that's really interesting. We got World Series action going on. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, The NBA Finals just wrapped up. Of course, uh, we got the MLB uh, LCS going on right now. So uh, the conference series for both divisions going on. And then uh, just another week in football. So a lot to talk about. Yeah, we'll start right off in the NBA. Lakers win it in six. You were right, Zach. I thought they were going to bring it down, finish it in what would have been five, but LeBron and his team able to get it. We saw shirtless J.R. Smith return. Uh, Just a great win for L.A. and a market that I went through a lot losing Kobe Bryant, a team that went through a lot losing Kobe Bryant, and now another championship to what could be the greatest franchise in NBA history. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Kobe Bryant. The last time the Lakers won the NBA Finals, it was with Kobe. Um, there, I, I was looking on social media and such after the Lakers had officially won, and there were chants of Kobe throughout LA. So it was really cool to see for the city and for the franchise, for for a group that lost so much, like one of the basketball icons in Kobe Bryant. It's really cool for them, but down to the brass tacks here. The Lakers won in six games after Danny Green missed a wide-open three-pointer to end game five, and then the Heat just could not keep up. Uh, LeBron won MVP. He's the first player in NBA history to win MVP for the finals for three different teams. That was, of course, with the Miami Heat the Cleveland Cavaliers, and now the Los Angeles Lakers. And he says he's got more in the tank. Do you believe that? 100%. I 100% believe he has more in the tank. LeBron is a freak athlete. He is fantastic. There's no way he is going to be done now. I, You know my theory on this. He's going to retire after he wins a championship with his son in Cleveland. <sighs> That but you I, know I I um I was looking at a couple of documentaries before the finals because of course ESPN was going out and talking about LeBron because the goat conversation will always be there 
And LeBron at his age should be just a role player. That should be what he is. Uh, look at some of the guys that came out of his draft with him, mainly Carmelo Anthony, who has bounced from team to team and is just a straight off the bench guy for the most part. LeBron is still one of the dominant players of this generation, and he's still going. So there, it, it's you, you said it yourself, a freak of nature when it comes to being a great athlete. It's it's ridiculous. He's no longer just a kid from Akron. He's the goat from Akron. He is the greatest of all time. Just the way he stays in shape, the way he can still shoot the basketball like he did when he was in high school at St. V's. LeBron is the best basketball player of all time, and there's I don't think there's anything you can do to change my mind on that anymore. Well, I, I'm not going to try to convince it. There's there's always going to be the comparison of LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has won significantly more finals rings. Stephen A. Smith saying that LeBron James plays in a uh, softer era of basketball. So it, there, the conversation is always going to be there. But LeBron has truly cemented himself in having a place in history. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, the Miami Heat lose what was probably one of the better uh, playoff runs that I've seen in a while for the East and maybe even the Heat themselves. So does Jimmy Butler, with this take into the finals, does he cement himself as one of the greats of our game right now? Or is he still one of the better players? I, I don't know. Not every, t- every team has great players, but not every team has a great. If you get what I'm saying. I think Jimmy Butler is just a little bit back of being one of the greats of the game. He's getting close, but I don't think he's there yet. I think if he won a championship, he would have. But he needs help to do that, it looks like. He doesn't have all he needs in Miami, but I think he can be a great. Is there anything that the Heat, you think, can take from this series? Yeah, you had a great season. You got into the finals kind of on a wing and a prayer. And uh, you lost to a team that lost, the one again, once again, one of the most iconic men in basketball. This is nothing to hang your head on. You weren't going to stop the Lakers from winning this series. There was too much riding on it for the city of L.A. I would agree with you. I mean, the Miami Heat, you mentioned it. They have nothing to be disappointed about. They got there playing up against some really solid teams. Look at Boston. Like, Boston is about built. They're almost there. And you were able to stick it out against them. And, I mean, if I'm the Heat, the thing that I take from it is we're there. We're almost there. But, I mean, missing out Goran Dragic for a lot of the time in the finals, not having Bam at a bio there, really hurt this team. And especially when Jimmy Butler is your main ball facilitator, you need to get another player out there. Uh, We'll talk about upcoming free agents or just a couple of them here in a moment for the NBA. But, you know, if, if you're asking me, I think you need to see another good player, not saying that anybody else on the Heat isn't good, but I think you need to see another ball handler go to the Miami Heat for them to do it. 
So um, with that, I, I guess we can just jump right into a couple of the upcoming free agents. There's a couple of really, really interesting ones going into this upcoming offseason. Um, and I'll just throw a couple of these names at you. Um, and I don't know if you'll throw them back at me, but I'm, I'm going to throw a couple of these at you. Where do you think these guys end up? And I'm going to start first and foremost with a uh, Cleveland Cavalier, Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond was traded from the Detroit Pistons to Cleveland just before the trade deadline. Drummond says he wants to stay with Cleveland. Does Cleveland retain him or does he go somewhere else? I think Cleveland retains him, and I think it's a good idea to do that. He's been in the league a while. He's had success. He's going to be a good role model for, say, Colin Sexton or any other young bloods on that team. Him working alongside Kevin Love, teaching them the NBA, I think is a a recipe for success in the future. Um, the downside is I don't know if they'll be able to pay him, but the other Cav that's elite that is up for a new contract, Tristan Thompson, he's not going to get the same deal he got last time when LeBron's like, "We need him here." Um, that I, was the yeah, I agree with Thompson. that. He he had the big contract year and since then he's been a okay player at best he's been a rebound machine but his scoring is down he's slow in the paint i think he goes to la on a one-year deal are you talking the clippers or the lakers lakers for tristan thompson Andre Drummond, I think he's going to sign a three- or four-year deal with the Cavs. I like that take. I like that take. So we go from Uh, a big man. I'm going to throw one more at you. From a big man to a not-as-big man, Fred Van Vliet. He is one of the guards of the Toronto Raptors who helped push them to that finals victory just over a year ago. Does Fred Van Vliet stay with the Raptors? Um, I'm, I'll, again, I don't know a lot about basketball, at least at the professional level, but I know he was a big, big addition to that Raptors team and able to get them into their first NBA Finals. The first NBA Finals won by a Canadian team, I believe. Uh, and I think he can stay with the Raptors. I think the Raptors want him to stay. The issue is... Do the Raptors have the money for him to stay? They also have Mark Gasol. If he wants to stay, like that's a big contract. That's a big name guy. So it all really just depends on where else on their spreadsheet people are falling. But he's another one. I could see him going West Coast basketball. He might go to the Clippers. And I say that because the Clippers were close. They have a new they're gonna have a new coach. Maybe something can change and happen there. I could see that take. I could see that happening. Um again, the Lakers still have room for one max extension player, but one of their own is potentially on the on the free agency wire this year. Yeah, and Anthony Davis, I don't think he's going to leave. We all see what happens to superstars when they leave a team with LeBron James. 
Not if LeBron James leaves them, if they leave a team that was on LeBron James with LeBron, LeBron, LeBron James willingly. You saw what happened to Kyrie. He has not been the same player since he left Cleveland. He's been injury-prone, all that kind of stuff. Anthony Davis, I think, is going to stick with L.A. I think the Lakers are going to make another shot to be, to uh, repeat as champions next year. And who knows, maybe they'll pull in like a Clay Thompson or someone on their contract, at the end of their contract. You see, I agree. I think Anthony Davis stays in L.A. And the reason being, he had his best season in the NBA this past year. And for some guys who come from these small market teams to the big markets, so uh, exactly what Anthony Davis just did, he went from the Pelicans to the Lakers, a small market team to a big market team. He went from having to be the guy to getting to be facilitated too. And I think that's huge for some players. It gives them an opportunity to really change their game and adjust their game and Go from there. So I agree completely. I don't think Anthony Davis is going to go out. Uh, I think that you're going to see one more big come in. Um, I don't know if Rajon Rondo sticks around any longer. He just won another NBA Finals ring. Um, I, I don't know if you'll see him stick around. So maybe look for maybe like a Gordon Hayward or a DeMar DeRozan coming to the Lakers. But other than that, I can't. I don't really think that you can complain if you're sitting there as a Lakers fan, you're in pretty solid shape to potentially repeat next year. Yeah, I think barring some miraculous comeback by the uh, uh, Golden State Warriors, I just don't see anyone else in the West that can compete with them. So we go from Strongly the NBA Finals. Them. Yeah, we go from the NBA Finals over to the MLB playoffs going on. Uh, what, what a time right now, uh, for the ALCS, the Rays coming off of a huge win over the Yankees in the divisional series are currently up three Oh, with an opportunity to beat the Astros tonight over the Astros. So, uh, the Rays versus the Astros in the ALCS before we even touch the NLCS, what are we seeing out of the Tampa Bay Rays right now? They are looking like a team that is out for blood. And honestly, they should change their name from the Rays to the Sharks because they are looking to just sweep this series and send the Astros home. And you know, it probably helps that they have the pitching and the bats to just be able to dispatch the Astros. And you know they are so tired of seeing the Astros like, oh, we're winning without cheating, but you won a World Series while cheating. It's t- it, The Rays are like, this is our time. Go home. And they're not going to be stopped from going to the World Series and making some noise. I agree. The, this Rays team looks awesome. And again, another stat that I saw, the Yankees spent half a billion dollars for the players that they have on their roster to be there between Garrett Cole, Aroldis Chapman, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. The Rays are a quarter of that and are still just in, in this series right now. They were easily able to capture the AL East this year. Then they go up, they beat the division rival Yankees, and now they're beating the Astros. And I mean, 
Jose Altuve, I, I, they, he used to be one of the best in the game, but I mean, every single player on that Astros squad has had their name tainted. They have this asterisk next to their name because they cheated that is, is going to impact them in the future and now. Not just because they didn't apologize for it, not because they're not recognizing they didn't do it. It's because they're standing there saying, it happened, but we're not going to admit that it happened. And that's what I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy about this Rays team beating the up on the Astros. Jose Altuve last night uh, had a costly throwing error that ended up losing them that game. So if you're sitting here as a baseball fan, you're kind of sitting here cheering for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, um, who again are in a really, really good situation. You're up 3-0. You got to keep your foot on the gas to really keep going. But I really do think that you're going to see this Tampa Bay Rays team stick it out and make it into the World Series. Yeah, and I'm not usually one to root for another AL team in the playoffs besides my own, but I I want to see the Rays do well. They look like they're going to put up a good fight in the World Series no matter who they play. But we'll just see what they do uh, in their matchup here. I believe game four is tonight. Yeah, it is tonight. As we're recording, yes. Yeah. Wednesday, the 13th of October. 14th. Uh, And then 14th. Oh, crap. It's the 14th. (laughs) I had something to do today. Okay. Anyway. Um the NLCS, though. We'll go to the NLCS now. And the Atlanta Braves up 2 nothing over the Dodgers so far. And the Dodgers are looking like the Dodgers in the postseason. Yeah, the, the team that really does... The, the Dodgers are a really precarious situation. They're kind of like the Yankees. The Dodgers look so good for, for the regular season. They get into the postseason and they start sitting there and and playing against some of the weaker teams, but the, the West isn't bad anymore. The West used to be like a, a two or three team race, but we saw with this offseason alone, the Marlins making it in, the Cardinals actually putting up a solid fight, the San Diego Padres were in. So it, it's not a just a, a one-punch division anymore. And for the Dodgers, they find a certain point in the postseason where they begin to choke. And it usually starts with the pitching rotation. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, of course, being scratched from game two with an injury. Um, Clayton Kershaw usually being one of the guys that does choke. Um, I use the term choke very strongly here, but it's it's kind of the best word to use. Um, the, the Dodgers are down 2-0 in this series after Atlanta came back again to push through and win game two. So if you're really sitting here and you're the Dodgers, you have an opportunity. You have arguably the best batting rota- uh, batting lineup in baseball. You, you're still really solid. But the thing is, is that bullpen is really just thrashing you right now. I think this becomes a series, though. I do, too. I think we're going to see the Dodgers win a game. And I, I, they might. They might force it to seven games in this one. I would not be surprised to see that. I would love to see that. I think that would be a fantastic Game 7 NLCS in uh, Arlington, Texas. They are in Arlington, right? 
Yeah, it's Ranger yeah. Stadium. Yeah, the new Ranger Stadium, Globe Life Park. Right, that's what the new one's called. I think so. I think. Yeah. Anyway, I would love to see Game Seven right before a World Series. I'd love to see the Dodgers pull it off, just because they have been so close. And I'd love that Rays-Dodgers matchup. I think those two teams just match up so well. And especially since they're going to have fans in the stands in the World Series, this whole thing could go any which way. We don't know yet. So here's my question. Are the Rays and Dodgers your World Series pick? I'm going to say yes. I, I, I think the Rays and Dodgers are going to be it. I think... I think they're going to find a way to pull together. And I think it's going to be like, guys, we've had enough of this. If Cleveland can get to the World Series, if the Cubs can get to the World Series, why can't we? And they're going to push through and figure out a way to get there. You you see, I kind of disagree just a little bit. I think that Shane Nissen, a good friend of ours, is going to be really happy with this take. I think you're going to see the Braves and the Rays. And the reason being is that already Atlanta's up 2-0. So, of course, we've we've seen teams blow big leads, 3-1 leads, 2-0 leads. You know, we've seen it happen. It's not like it's never happened in sports. But the thing is, is you've got to be able to back it up. And this Braves team looks really good. They can hit the long ball. They can play small ball. And it's it's always good when you can match up against a really good bullpen. Of course, Kenley Jansen for the uh, the Dodgers is hurt. But look, look at Freddie Freeman alone for the Braves. He's looked really, really good in this postseason so far. Um, I think you're going to see the Rays, uh, as we mentioned, beat out the Astros. I don't think the Astros hold any possibility of coming back in this series. And on the other end of it, I think Atlanta looks really, really good. They need to keep their foot on the gas, but I think that you can see Atlanta do it. So I'm going to say the world series matchup is the Rays against the Braves. Yeah, that would be another good matchup. I think either way it goes, we're going to have a really entertaining world series. We'll go now to the Yankees who spent half a billion dollars, billion with a B, and still lost in the ALDS. And I have an idea why, but let's find out what Zach Smith thinks. You know, I, I like to use this analogy, and this is kind of a Cleveland Browns analogy. Um, so the Cleveland Browns try to keep throwing different quarterbacks in the fray. Um, there's been quarterbacks that have been thrown in there, different players that have been thrown in there of, you know what, we're really bad, but this one guy can fix it. This one guy can fix it. This one guy can fix it. And that's been the way in Cleveland for quite a while before the past couple of years. But at what point do you turn and you blame the coach? What point do you blame the ownership and even vice versa? where they were going through coaches all the time. At what point is it the player's fault, not the coach's fault? In this situation, I kind of see the same thing. The Yankees, as I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, have one of the best pitching rotations in baseball. The Yankees have some of the best hitters in baseball, long ball hitters, I must I must add. And you've got some of the best role players in baseball. So what's the problem here? The one constant in all of this is coaching and ownership. It's coaching and ownership. And 
ever since Joe Girardi left the Yankees, it's kind of been really inconsistent. And you, as, as I know you've mentioned, Jacob, you can't live and die on the home run ball. You cannot do that. That's how you lose games when your one defense is the long ball. You, can, you should be able to hit it, but you should not be living and dying with it. I think the problem with this team is that exact approach. You can be known as the Bronx Bombers, but you need to be able to win small ball because when pitchers realize what it is that is make, letting you guys hit these home run balls, whether it's a ball up in the zone or down in the zone, you know, they're going to be able to adjust and force you to go fishing or go swinging. And that's how you get struck out. So I think that the biggest problem is coaching. And I think that's the reason why, yet again, the Yankees, with the talent that they have, did not make the World Series. Do you know what I think it is? What's that? I think they've unlocked a new curse. Uh oh. The curse to be good enough to get to the playoffs and choke. Do you know why I think so? I'm curious why. They have they have no available single digit numbers. Numbers one through nine are all retired by the Yankees. Okay. I think th- I think they unleashed some bad juju on themselves when they did that. Of course, all the players they retired the jerseys for all deserved it. You think of uh Lou Gehrig. You think of uh did Babe Derek Jeter single digit Derek Jeter. It's it's just insane what a lot of these Yankees have been able to do. But I think they've kind of uh curse themselves i was going to my i forgot they won the 09 series because i was going to say they cursed themselves they got cursed in the midge game against cleveland in 07 but since they won it in 09 i can't say that so but no i i I see your point it's either that or the whole city of new york sports franchises are cursed you look at the Rangers, you look at the Knicks, you look at the Nets, you look at the Islanders, you look at the Giants and the Jets. It's just misery in New York right now. And I will say that Cleveland still has it worse. We've won one title since 1964. Our NFL team hasn't won a title since the 50s. We lost our NHL team after four years. But the New York, New York sports, I think, may be cursed. And it might be overall. It might not just be the Yankees. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. We jump a little bit around. We stay in the AL. Uh, we have yet another coach firing in the MLB uh, with the Chicago White Sox firing head coach Rick Renteria after he brought his team to the postseason. Jacob, our reigning uh, AL Central Division uh, mastermind over there. What does this say about the White Sox? It says they have an incompetent owner. That is the dumbest decision you could make. It really is. Look at what he did to this team. A team of nobodies two years ago, 
now a few superstars. They should have won the AL until or the AL Central until the Cleveland Indians kind of turned on that switch right at the end of the regular season and knocked them out of contention, and then they just couldn't win to finish off the regular season. I think in a 162-game season, they do win the AL Central. But why? Why would you fire a coach who really gave you your first good team since the 07 World Series championship? I think it's a moronic decision. I think that the White Sox are going to... They're going to be the trash can of the American League next year. I disagree with that a lot. Um, I, I was talking with a White Sox fan of mine, and he he or a White Sox friend of mine, and um, should, he, he should turns we, and he says, should, "I'm sorry." Should we should we call Charlie? No, no, we should not. Charlie, Mister, I can win with calling the Pirates to win their division. Anyway. Um, Rick Hahn, the GM of the Chicago White Sox, turns after this uh, release of Rick Renteria and says, the manager search is an opportunity for us. My friend Drew, who is a big White Sox fan, turns and says that this is going to be the most coveted manager job in baseball. And I agree with it completely. This is a young roster who has a lot, a lot to prove. You know, you, you got some solid, solid players. You got three pitchers on your staff, not counting Dallas Keuchel, who could be aces anywhere else in the MLB. And you, at this point, have a little bit of postseason experience. You had a great, great season. And this, this is not a season to be disappointed of. It's a weird season for sure. But, you know, you got to be able to, to look and work with it. Uh, a couple of the names that have been throwing that have been thrown around towards the White Sox, I'll give you one is AJ Hinch, the former Astros yeah. coach. I could see that. I think if they do hire him, MLB should step in and say he was fired. He's still serving his one year suspension. That could be the biggest issue there. Um, I think a name that not a lot of people have thrown out that could be a little bit of a front runner is. A coach in, divi- in the division, in the AL Central. Sandy Alomar, while the team did have some downs while he was there, made some good decisions. He made a few this unorthodox decisions in the wild card series against the Yankees. But I, you can't really blame that. It, the bats kind of went cold. The pitching had off nights, which is not something... You were expecting from Shane Bieber, and then the rain delay kind of screwed up Carlos Carrasco in that. Um, I think I don't think Sandy Alomar will ever leave Cleveland. I think he will be the next manager of the Cleveland Indians when Terry Francona. I think he's going to retire as a, a coach of the Cleveland Indians. I think he Sandy Alomar is going to be the next manager of the Cleveland Indians. Um, but I think he could be someone if the White Sox are looking for a newer guy who's shown some promise managing the game. He played the game on one of the best teams of the 90s that should have won a World Series. I think Sandy Alomar Jr. could be a guy that would interview for the job and would be a good fit for what they have in Chicago. On the other hand, 
we have a lot of other managers that are looking for jobs, and his name escapes me right now, but uh, the Red Sox former manager. Alex Cora. Alex Cora, that's it. I think he's also another guy that would be a good fit in Chicago. Another guy that MLB might say he's still serving at least some kind of suspension to start the season if he does get hired by a team. But there's a lot of good guys out there. I just don't see them winning in a first year with a new manager. We'll have to see what happens. This AL Central, as we saw this year, looked really, really competitive uh, with the title for the division up for grabs with the last week to play between the Twins, the the White Sox, and the Cleveland Indians. So it's going to be really interesting to see what ends up happening. I do think it's a little curious that, you know, Rick Renteria brings you to the postseason and you let him go. But if the White Sox organization that has gotten through this rebuild and now looks ready to start pushing again in the AL... If they think that that's what's best, you honestly have to just go and let them do it. Um, you got to hope that they know best and they're going to roll with it. So uh, whatever happens with the White Sox, good luck to you. And just talking about the AL Central real quick, looking forward to next season. I think it is the hardest division to win in baseball next season. In a full 162 game schedule. I think the Twins, the Indians, the White Sox. And even the Tigers could all be in the mix to win that division next year. The Tigers have a lot of good young prospects getting ready to come up from Toledo, including a catcher who they could have brought in or who they picked out of Ohio State who could have come in and started right at the major league level with his skill level. The Indians got a lot of good prospects in the Mike Clevenger trade that they can bring up. They're going to have some holes to fill especially if they do not re-sign Francisco Lindor. Um, The Twins, the second-best pitching rotation in the American League Central. They've got a lot of good bats if they can get them going. The AL Central is going to be fun to watch next year, and I don't think the only team I think out of it is going to be the Kansas City Royals. But we'll go from... A team, those teams next year to talking about the San Diego Padres who are my favorite to win the NL West next year. Oh, uh, dude, the San Diego Padres, how much fun were they to watch in the postseason this year? Not just that, but in the year this year, Fernando Tatis Jr. has come out as a new young star in the MLB. I don't I don't care what you say, but Tatis deserves to be put up a little bit. He looks awesome. On top of that, you've got some really solid bats out there. Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, Will Myers. That's not even counting Mitch Moreland, who you guys just went and signed. Your pitching rotation looks good for the upcoming years. Mike Clevenger to be your new ace. I think that you still should go and try to get some bullpen help. I think that's the area that the Padres need. But 100%, I don't think this Padres team can be slept on anymore in the West. And I don't think the Dodgers can come Competently go into every single year being the favorite anymore. Neither do I. The two moves I would like to see the Padres make. Get another big bat. Get another big arm. You have two solid starting pitchers. I think you need one more. I don't know who it's going to be. I think they need to go out and trade a guy. 
But the move I think they desperately need to make in free agency, and I don't know if they have the money for it, go after Francisco Lindor. And as an Indians fan, it hurts me. But the Padres, they have the, the owners that will spend the money on the team. They have the fan base. They are the number one team in San Diego. Of course, they're the only team in San Diego now. Um, but they have a chance to do something special out at Petco Park next season. But they need that extra, another big bat to fill that hole in the lineup. And they really need a third pitcher. And if they're looking for another pitcher, I think Zach Plesak is on the market from the Indians after the stunts he pulled this season. The Indians and the Padres have had very good trades that have worked out for both teams in the last two years. Expect another one this offseason. So I want to kind of change course here. I, I don't agree with your big bat. Uh, because I think the inside of that infield is really solid unless you want to see uh, a guy like Lindor go play second. I don't think that you're going to see Lindor get moved over there. I have to still see what free agents are going to be available, but I, I kind of agree that you need another big bat. But here's a potential really, really hot take or interesting take. So hear me out here. If the team does not resign him, a player that I'd love to see go to the Padres, Trevor Bauer. And I think that would be a fantastic fit. He would take over that eighth spot. Trevor Bauer, even after he left, or he was traded from the Indians, is one of my favorite players in Major League Baseball. The only wild card with him is he will only sign one-year contracts because he has a stupid bet that if he signs more than a one-year contract, his friend gets to shoot him in a certain area with a paintball gun. I, I, Trevor Bauer, the things he, what he does on social media, he calls out Major League Baseball for their BS. He, he's an explosive player. He brings a lot of energy. And I think he fits really well in the National League. Have you ever seen Trevor Bauer bat in a National League game? He will, his like stance, he changes it. He makes it look like whatever player he is working with or whatever players he wants to. I remember in one game, he looked, he batted like Jason Kipnis. In one game, he went in there and used Francisco Lindor's stance. He can be that guy. He's not a great bat, but who? what pitcher is? And we may see the permanent uh, DH in the National League this year anyway now. But Trevor Bauer, I think, by far would be a great fit if he's not re-signed by the Reds. I, th I think it's a Reds, cool spot. Yes. Go ahead. Although I believe the, Red I believe the Reds are going to re-sign him. They have the money. They have the talent to compete in the NL Central next year. But I think he would be a really good fit with Mike Clevenger. The chemistry those two had in Cleveland is undeniable. And from there, we'll go to the NFL, the Week 5 recap. 
Dan Quinn. I don't know if he even made it back to the locker room before he was fired. I I couldn't tell you. His seat was super, super warm. Um, you know, you're you're talking about a guy who has not done all that well over the years, and now you start off 0-5, so he's gone. Thomas Dimitrov, the GM of Atlanta, gone, both after the 0-5 start. That's the second NFL coach firing in two weeks. Bill O'Brien last week, Dan Quinn this week. So you're going to see some of these teams that aren't doing as well start pushing and getting new players and new coaches in the building. So that brings the question yep. up for me. Do you think this is the end of the Matt Ryan era in Atlanta? I think so. I think so. Even if it's not an, even if it's a year, if he's gone this year, he's a good quarterback. He'll land on his feet somewhere else, even as just maybe a backup or like a transitional guy to a team that's taking a rookie quarterback. Um, my favorite. My favorite quarterback to land there that's not a rookie, and I know I said he would land with the Indianapolis Colts, but I think Mitch Trubisky would fit in with in Atlanta really well. Yeah, he does. He hasn't looked as good as he did when he was a rookie, but he kind of lost his starting job to Nick Foles in an unconventional way. I think he still has what it takes to maybe not be a star, but be a starter in this league, even again, if it is a transitional guy. But with the firing of their coach this this soon into the season, I think this is a tank for Trevor Lawrence situation, or maybe not Trevor Lawrence even, maybe Justin Fields. I could see Justin Fields going down there. He's a kid from, he's from Georgia, isn't he? I'm not sure. I know he played at Georgia. He played. He played Georgia. at Georgia. Yeah, he played there, and then he entered uh, the waiver or the transfer the portal transfer. to come to Ohio State. Yeah, I could see him being a good fit there as well. Maybe going after Dwayne Haskins from the Washington Football Team. Now that it seems that Washington is moving away from him. The biggest issue if you go with Haskins is apparently his work ethic has not been very consistent with Washington. I think bringing in a competent coach to coach either him or Mitch Trubisky would be a good move. It all just depends on who they get and who they're going to sign in free agency. But as you've pointed out, could we see Julio Jones be traded out? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit later on about uh, the trade deadline, but the trade deadline's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, and I, I think that you could see potential players get moved around. I think, um, and I mean, the, the Bills, or not the Bills, the, um, the Bill O'Brien-led Texans did the same kind of deal. But I think that you're going to need to see them, as well as the Falcons, turn and enter into a really deep rebuild. Um, you, when you do a rebuild right, you build first and foremost around a good coach. Look, I'm, I'm going to use the Dolphins model because the Dolphins, in my opinion, are doing this perfectly. You take a coach, you turn to him and you say, this is the plan. Step one, we need you to go and get the quarterback of the future. He did that going after Tua Tungavailoa in this past draft. 
We're going to give you all this cap space here. Go after players that you think will be good for the present as well as the future, which he's done. And then they continue to give him draft capital. Go out and do what you can to help build this team. And Miami looks pretty decent. So I think that you're going to need to see Atlanta start trying to shed a little bit of salary. Um, just like I think that you need to see Houston do. It's a, it's a long road ahead and it's going to take some time. And unfortunately for uh, Atlanta Falcons fans, as well as fans of the Houston Texans, it's going to be a difficult couple of seasons um, as your team both try just to revamp and, and regain some power. Um, I, I think that you could see Julio Jones get traded. Um, I don't think it'll happen because I feel like he is the type of guy who is going to uh, be drafted and retire with the same team. Um, but I could see it as a possibility. It's, it's a guy who's had some injury problems. It's a guy who has a lot of potential still on his plate. And especially if, you know, Atlanta's looking to just start the rebuild now after being 0-5, I could see them turning to a team that really needs that number one or number two receiver to really just to balance out the room, that true deep threat type player. And, and let them run with it. The biggest team that comes to mind for me, if Julio Jones were to hit the market, is New England. Yeah, and I think that's a guy Bill Belichick would love to have. The only issue is, is the Cam Newton exper- experiment going to be over in New England and they are going with a new quarterback after this season? Or are they going to try to stick with Cam Newton when he's back and healthy? Well, I'm not 100% sure. Cam Newton uh, being out the last game with COVID-19, Brian Hoyer did not look good at all. Um, And he he should have been the type of quarterback who doesn't see the field. Jarrett Stidham looked better, but even still, he he needs a little bit of work. Um, Cam Newton is the perfect bridge quarterback that the Patriots needed to remain competent and competitive in the uh, AFC East. However... I think that Stidham could be the guy, or if Bill Belichick wants to go another route and go from there. Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. We go from that to four unbeatens remaining in the NFL. Uh, There were a lot more going into the week. The Kansas City Chiefs were unbeaten. The Buffalo Bills were unbeaten, but not anymore. Only four remain. That would be the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Green Bay Packers, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Tennessee Titans. So, is there anybody on that list you're quite really surprised to see on that list? Or do you kind of think that each one of those four teams belongs in this 4-0 and or 5-0 and range? Well, the one I'm surprised about is the Titans. Because if they had played the Steelers the last week, I don't think they would be unbeaten. Um, I think all team, all four teams are really good. The Packers, I think, have a chance to stay undefeated deep into the season. The Steelers this week have a big test. And that test is the old-fashioned NF or pardon me, AFC North rivalry between them and now the Browns who have won four games in a row for the first time since 2009 have gone 4 and 1 for the first time since 1994. And this Browns defense, they need to learn how to play four full quarters. But holy cow, 
Miles Garrett is on a revenge tour. Leads the NFL in sacks, leads the NFL in strip sacks. The Cleveland defense, in my opinion, has been underrated. They lead the NFL in takeaways and points off turnovers. They might have this. I think they have the second best defense in the AFC North. But like I said, they need two things: one to play two full, four full quarters, and two they need a linebacker. Mac Wilson is done, but I think the Steelers are on the hot seat of going down this week. And what I can only what I can only imagine is going to be a shootout at Heinz Field. You see, I'm ready to start defending it, but I have specifically set time aside for you and me today to sit and and do this. So that's later in the show. Um, we're going to keep going. Defeated no more. Without Bill O'Brien, the Houston Texans win their first game of the year against the Jaguars. Does this signal that it was Bill O'Brien's fault, or are you just going to credit it that, no, oh, they just played the Jaguars? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't even know who's coaching right now for them. But I think that Deshaun Watson is going to do a good job. I still think he's going to be the quarterback QB1 there. Um, The biggest issue I have is some of the offensive weapons are not going aren't have not been producing. I think they need to utilize Duke Johnson more. He doesn't see the field all that much. I still think he's a good back. It all just is kind of it it's been weird, really. But I think I think they could start not competing, but put up a solid year, maybe go five hundred. I agree with that. I think that the the Houston Texans need to start rebuilding. And I think that's the biggest thing. But I think that this win is more of a morale thing. You looked at some of these players for the Texans and they were not happy. Uh, J.J. Watt, not happy at all. And with with a guy like Watt looking to get a new contract here soon, you want to keep him happy. Um, I agree that it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, Bill O'Brien's play calling is terrible. His game management was not good. And being the GM was not good for him at all. And now you look at the Bill O'Brien list Texans and they looked pretty competent. But I, I it's a long way to the top, especially in a division where the Titans are now 4-0. and The Indianapolis Colts are still pretty decent, now at 3-2 and in their division. It's going to be really fun to watch the division, but I think it might be a little too little too late for the Houston Texans. I, I agree. I say they go 500 and no more. Well, now it's time to start recapping Week 5. A couple of big games that we'll touch on because there's also a little bit of big news in the NFL through week five. Um, so the Steelers versus the Eagles uh, at the time, the leader of the AFC North versus the leader of the AFC or the NFC East. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers end up beating the Philadelphia Eagles at Pittsburgh. So in good old Heinz Field. And 
it was a game that honestly Carson Wentz started to look pretty decent in. Um, of course, the Eagles getting their first win back in week four against San Francisco at Levi Stadium in uh, San Francisco. But now you're looking at a Carson Wentz going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And again, he looked good. Yeah, he looked decent. Two turnovers, though, two touchdowns, threw for 258 yards. I'm still not sold on Carson Wentz right now. He's, it's starting to be a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately. I think next year is going to be a big year for him if the Eagles even decide to keep him. But the, there's no way Pittsburgh should have given up 29 points in that. I agree with you. Maybe. And I mean... The, the Steelers have the best run defense in the NFL. The best run defense in the NFL. You take away that 74-yard run by Miles Sanders in the first quarter, and he didn't have all that much as in terms of yardage. He only had six yards if you take away the 74-yard run. So, overall, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a pretty decent game. The, the defense for the Steelers, the secondary needs to play a little better. The front seven... Looks awesome, but I think you need to see a little bit more out of guys like Minka Fitzpatrick. I agree that there's no reason why 29 points should have gone on the board. But at the same time, as I was saying with uh, over Twitter with Hayden Kincaid over the time, the, the, the sign of a good team is one that is able to be in those types of games and come out on top. It's not the prettiest of games, but it's a game that the, te- the Steelers were able to come out and get a win. Um it's it's one that the offense played completely, the defense played completely, and and at the end of the day, they made turnovers when they needed to. So it it's really interesting. The Steelers off of that win advanced to four and zero, three and zero at home, and the Eagles dropped to one three and one. They're I think they're just about done. I don't think they'll be able to win the one. Well, there's not going to be a winner in the. AFC East or NFC East. NFC East. Um, there's going to be an eight game loser that goes into the playoffs. The winner of that division is going to go eight and eight. They're n- I'm not sold on the Eagles ever since Nick Foles and that miraculous Super Bowl run. I just don't see what they can do. From there, we'll go to the Bills and the Titans, that which was a Tuesday night matchup. The first Tuesday night game in a while. And the Titans looked really good. 42 to 16. Josh Allen. 263 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. TJ Yeldon, 52 yards on the ground. And then Stephon Diggs, 10 receptions for 106 yards. They have the, they have the weapons. But it just, I don't know if the Titans can keep it up all season. I would kind of agree with you, but I mean, talk about a team that just had two weeks off from football and come out and dominate one of the hottest teams in the NFL. The Titans have not played a game in two weeks going into last night. Two weeks. 
And they come out and they dismantle Josh Allen and the Bills, looking really, really good doing it. Derrick Henry continues to look dominant. Ryan Tannehill looks good. The defense was able to put clamps on Josh Allen, but I do kind of agree with you. Um, I don't I don't think this Titans team is I, I don't it, this is my own opinion. This is my own hot take here, but I don't think this Titans team is really all that difficult. And I mean, it's it's one thing to say that it's not difficult because of the fact that they're, it's a predictable look. Tannehill doesn't like throwing the ball down the field all that often. This is a team that loves to run the ball. So as in terms of what they're going to do against you, it's not that hard to figure out. They're going to put their head down and they are going to run the football on you. And that's awesome. That's a great way to go about it, especially when you've got one of the best running backs in the NFL and Derrick Henry. And for this Bills team, they they looked gassed. They looked truly gassed. Um, this is a team that sh- that's supposed to be a ride or die with their defense, and they looked not good. Um, I think this says a lot about the Buffalo Bills. I think it says more about them than it does Tennessee. But at the same time, you know, I got to give credit where credit is due. Tennessee came out with a great game plan. They really did, and it was a good job on them to be able to keep it going. But I don't, I don't know how much well they'll be able to compete in the AFC South. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, again, th- this is a division that's not going to be as competitive competitive as it was in previous years. The Jacksonville Jaguars are not as um, dynamic as they used to be. You still have the Colts, you still have the Titans, and and the Texans are still struggling. So it's going to be a lot to get through it in the NFC South. We go from the or from the AFC South. We go from the AFC South to the NFC South. Chargers versus Saints on Monday Night Football. Justin Herbert, what a rookie, man! The, the Chargers got so lucky with him. Justin Herbert, the first rookie in NFL history to throw four touchdowns on Monday Night Football, almost knocking off the Saints in the dome. And they really should have knocked out the Saints. The Saints' defense, not what it, everyone thought it was going to be coming into this season. Uh, they thought that the Saints would be a Super Bowl contender. They're sitting at 3-2 and two right now. But Drew Brees able to keep his team in that one to get the win. But I think Justin Herbert's performance has taken over the starting job, even when Tyrod Taylor is back and healthy. I don't think you can justify giving him the ball back. I agree. Tyrod Taylor is not going to be a starter in the NFL. Not this season. Not happening. We'll go from... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. After you. After you. Okay. We'll go to Cleveland. First Energy Stadium as... The three and one Colts came into town to play the three and one Brownies. Browns go to four and one. And holy cow, what a game. The Colts came out firing at all cylinders before the Browns defense able to start shutting them down. Phillip Rivers got sacked, and even though Indianapolis had a really good offensive line, they really could not do much to stop the rush of Miles Garrett in this Cleveland front. I'd have to agree with you. I mean, 
Miles Garrett was just putting pressure on Philip Rivers like all game long, and there's not a lot you can do when you got that. And against one of the better O lines in the NFL, too. And that's what really surprised me with it. Of course, though, the Colts started to come back, and you mentioned it earlier when you started talking about the Browns, which we'll talk about a little later on, too. But Cleveland's got to be able to close out games, and I think that's going to be their biggest problem as they move forward throughout the season. The Cowboys almost came back on you. That And you said this last week, that Cowboys game was not a game the Browns should have won, just based on what their defense was giving up. And at the same time, the, the Colts were starting to be the same way before Phillip Rivers pulled a Phillip Rivers and threw an interception, mainly a pick six to Ronnie Harrison. That You're, you're going to be going up against teams this season that are going to be a little luckier than that. And for, for Baker Mayfield, and I, I, I agree with a lot of what the analysts are saying with Baker Mayfield, he's been really, really solid, but he's going to have to eventually make a play. And look at the next couple of games at Pittsburgh this week at Cincinnati next week. Then you get the Raiders, the Texans and the Eagles all all on the road. So or all at home, excuse me. So this is going to be a team that's going to be tested in the second half. And if if you're going to look at this and say, does this win say more about the Browns or the Colts? I think it says a little bit more about the Colts than the Browns. The Colts, Philip Rivers is not the guy. Not at all. Um, the defense needs to be able to make more stops. And at the same time, later in games, especially when your defense has put you in the position to come back and win, you've got to put more pressure on Baker Mayfield to try to make throws down the field. This team misses Nick Chubb, and you can see it. But Baker's got to be able to push the ball down the field and at the end of the game when it matters. I would agree with you to a point. I think this says more about the Browns, actually. One, it shows that there is still a little bit of weakness going into the second half on the defense. But in the first quarter and the second quarter, having Hollywood Higgins back for the Browns helped out a lot. Um, Take a look, OBJ starting to look like OBJ again. Uh, Landry had himself a good game in the first half again. And even though Nick Chubb is out, Kareem Hunt did a really good job. Dearness Johnson has done himself a has made himself a household name in Cleveland as even just a third string back. The Browns still finding a way to move the ball most of the time. They didn't punt the ball until the fourth quarter. Um with that being said, he did Baker did throw two interceptions and a lot of times you can say, yeah, that was the receiver's fault, but these two were both Baker Mayfield's fault. On the other side, the Browns' defense, once again, it was the bend-not-break mentality that won them the game. Two interceptions, including the pick six. They forced a intentional grounding call in the end zone, which resulted in a safety, which was really the nail in the coffin. And then Cody Parkey, a single doink through the upright this time, which makes Bears fans everywhere unhappy. But I think this Browns team, they know where they need to improve. I think they can do that. My biggest thing is Andrew Sandejo. He has no business starting in that secondary. And the only reason he is is because Greedy Williams is is not back yet. 
The Browns need a linebacker. They need another defensive back or a safety. They need some help on the defense, but up front, I think they are as solid, if not the most solid of anyone in the NFL. Going up against, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but going up against the Steelers, I would like to see their coverage in the secondary tighten up a little bit more. Um, but I think they are going in with a fighting chance in the rest of the season to at least make the playoffs. I agree. I think the Browns will make the playoffs. I'm, I, I've been saying this since the beginning, that seven seed was made for the Browns. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, and again, once we start debating, we'll start debating. But you're, you're talking about an AFC North that looks really good. Really good. So it, yeah, we'll, we'll have the, to wait and the see. best division of football. I agree. Well, yeah, well, I agree we'll completely. Have to wait and see. The Ravens, it seems like they're starting to cool down a little bit as I say that. They're still winning games. But I think this division could be won by any one of the top three teams right now. I agree with you. We'll move from there to Dak Prescott. And Dak, we know you're not going to listen to this. But we, our thoughts and prayers are with you, man. That is an unbelievable injury. And we wish you all the best. You're a great guy. I hope you can come back from this. Um, I think you can. You you have that mentality to come back from an injury like this, a lot like Alex Smith just did. But our thoughts and prayers, man, and a speedy recovery to you. It's truly a terrible thing. If if you've watched the hit, and I know I watched the hit, I'm assuming you watched the hit. Um, it's brutal. Your your ankle's not supposed to bend that way. Um. Jacob couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I I gotta sit here and like Dak is is a competitor, and and this is an injury that's gonna scar that career, and and even still, it's gonna scar the Cowboys this year. It's not gonna look good. Uh, you mentioned you, you we hope that he comes back uh, like Alex Smith did. Alex Smith, of course, getting an opportunity to start this week, uh, not like start the game, but get into the game, which is awesome to see. So it's not over. Um, Dak, we hope you stay in good spirits. Good, sir. And we hope that you're able to come back and lead this Cowboys team because this Cowboys team looked good with you. Um, that being said, from there, from there we're going to go to the Jets in re- their release of Le'Veon Bell. I was on my way back from Michigan last night when this happened, and holy cow, a lot of people's fantasy teams are like, oh, come on. Where is Le'Veon Bell going to land, and why did the Jets cut him? So the, the the Jets cut him, I think, for a few reasons. One of them being the injury concerns. Uh, you keep in mind, a couple of years back when Le'Veon Bell was with the Steelers, he sat out after the third franchise tag, and he got the deal he wanted. But when he came over from the Steelers to the Jets, he didn't have the same productivity that he did with Pittsburgh, um, partially because he was the focal point of the offense in New York. Um, whereas he, I, I don't want to say he was a complimentary piece, but that's pretty much what he was in Pittsburgh. Um, he, he was not the primary option. He wasn't the secondary option. He was an option and that's the best way to go about it. 
uh, playmakers like that are best when they get used correctly. And I don't think that New York used them correctly. Um, Bell just came off of uh, a mild IR stint with a hamstring issue. Uh, there was always a little bit of issues with Adam Gase, the head coach of the New York Jets. Um, the, the Jets have been trying to trade Le'Veon Bell to get something out of him, but nobody's biting. So they just end up releasing him. Now, that brings up the question, where does he land? Uh, in my opinion, there's a couple of places that he could land. I'll give you two or three of them. Uh, the first place being uh, with the New England Patriots. Now, the reason I say this, Bill Belichick loves guys like that. Cam Newton would love to have a running back like Le'Veon Bell in the backfield. And on top of that, you're talking about a team whose receiving options are very thin and could still be looking to contend. So I think Le'Veon Bell would look really, really good in New England, and I think New England could afford him. Uh, the second place that I think he would look pretty solid at would be in Chicago with the Bears. Uh, you still have David Montgomery, but Tariq Cohen being out is really going to hurt this offense. And we saw them miss Tariq Cohen against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Um, you bring in a guy like Le'Veon Bell who could come in, be a little mobile, and and get around. And I think he would actually be a really solid option for Chicago, become that pass-catching option to give Allen Robinson a little bit of help, uh, allow David Montgomery to still be that power back, but allow Le'Veon Bell to, to play that wide receiver running back hybrid that he was in Pittsburgh. That's where he was his most dominant. And the third option that I want to throw out here, but it's one that I already kind of disagree with, there have been a lot of people saying that he should go back to Pittsburgh. I don't think that he should. I think it's an option, but I don't think he should go back to Pittsburgh. Um, the only reason being is I think that he kind of left on bad terms. And the Steelers don't even really need running back help, to be very honest with you. So the third team that I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, why not? Let's give Tom Brady another stellar player. Ronald Jones is still solid. Ronald Jones actually hasn't disappointed all that much. But put Le'Veon Bell on that team. And I mean, Leonard Fournette can still be that goal line presence that you turn, you give him the ball and you say, here, go score this touchdown. But Le'Veon Bell can get the chunk yardage. I don't think the Buccaneers need him either, but I think he would be a really useful part to that offense. You see, I agree with everything you just said, but I think the top place that might go after him could be the Cincinnati Bengals. They have Mixon, who is a solid first-choice running back, but I think you give another explosive running back like, like Le'Veon Bell uh, to Joe Burrow in this offense. They could be a scary team to watch. Their defense still needs a lot of help. Their O-line needs a lot of help, but Le'Veon uh, Bell, he can block too. He's not the most stellar blocker, but if you say you run a few wing T formations with Mixon and Bell. You're like, hey, block. He can do it. From there, we're going to go down to the Browns and Steelers. We can't spend as much time on this as we want to, but we just need to get it in there. This match is for the AFC North. This is going to be a big battle. I think the Ravens are good. I think they're about to have a hit a little bit of turbulence in Baltimore, though. This is also... This is going to be an old-school football game. Old-school, chirpy, some, some big hits. 
This is the Browns-Steelers of the 80s. This is going to be a fun game to watch. Yeah, and that'll bring us to what we need to watch for. What are the strengths of both teams and, and where are these key injuries at? So obviously the biggest injury for this Browns team is Nick Chubb. That 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 cannot be displaced at all. Nick Chubb and Greedy Williams both being out for this game are going to be huge for this squad. Uh, on the other side for Pittsburgh, the only injuries that I'm aware of, uh, Derek Watt, the fullback, will not be playing Deontay Johnson and Marquise Pouncey are supposed to start. They left the Eagles game questionable, but David DeCastro, the uh, all-pro right guard, may not be playing this week. So that's something to watch. So a couple of key offensive injuries for the Steelers and then for the Browns, Nick Chubb, arguably the best running back in the NFL, being out. And Greedy Williams, who is better than Andrews, Anderson Sandejo, um, or Andrew Sandejo. Um, it's it's going to be really tough for both teams. And what to watch for? The Steelers have the best run defense in the NFL, and I keep saying it because of the fact it's true. They've gone up against a lot of really good running backs, and they don't allow a lot of yards to carry. This Browns team loves to run the ball with Kareem Hunt, especially because Nick Chubb is out. The key for the Browns in this matchup is Baker Mayfield, in my opinion. Um, if Baker Mayfield can push the ball down the field, this Browns offense will hum. Uh, for the Steelers, it's going to be neutralizing Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is going to be a huge thorn in the side for this Steelers offensive line. All right. Now, you got to give a lot of credit to the Steelers offensive line. They held J.J. Watt to no sacks or quarterback pressures. They've gone up against some pretty strong opponents, Jarrell Casey, Bradley Chubb. But this this is the test right here. This is the test. And I think the key for the Steelers is neutralizing Miles Garrett. Ben Roethlisberger has proven that he can move the ball down the field, control the clock. The Steelers rush game looks really good. And you've seen teams poke holes in this Browns secondary. So that's that's my key, at least. I don't know what your thoughts are, but th those are my keys. Now, Baker Mayfield does have bruised ribs, but he says he's going to be good to play. I don't think it's going to affect his throwing motion. What I would like to see some more RPO. You've got three, you've got one really good running back and two other kind of backup, but still decent running backs. If you can run some options outside, maybe throw some running back screen passes, that could maybe force the Steelers to change up their defensive plan a little bit. On the defensive side, Andrew Sandejo needs to learn how to cover a receiver. It seems to me he's got he's just looking to get his hands on the football. He's trying to get interceptions and just interceptions. He needs to cover, but I think he can do a good job in doing this. I think the key to this one is the Browns defense. I think they've been gassed in the third and fourth quarters the last two games. I think they play a solid three and a half quarters. It's that half quarter that worries me, though, with Ben Roethlisberger. This is a game that could come down to the final possession for both teams, and I'm really excited for it. But I think the X factor is Jarvis Landry. And I'd like to say OBJ, but you know the Steelers are going to put him in double coverage, especially since 
how he's been performing the last three weeks. I think Baker Mayfield to Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is kind of that safety blanket for Baker when he needs those receptions. I think we're going to see a lot of short passes, maybe a few deeper balls, but short passes run for the first down is what I want to see. This is this is going to truly be a fun game to watch. And I mean, I've been saying this since the schedule was released that I thought that the Steelers and Browns were going to split the series. Look at the two meetings last year. The first time that the Browns and Steelers played each other was not that pretty. Not that pretty. Um, The first time that they played in Cleveland, the Browns won that game. When the Steelers played at Heinz Field, Pittsburgh won that game. So, I mean, you, you gotta really sit and and, and look at this team. Uh, they beat Pittsburgh 21-7 to on Thursday night football back in the Miles Garrett hit. That hits in the past. I'm not spending time talking about it. Then week 13, you lose in Pittsburgh. The only thing that I throw up in those two games is you don't have a future Hall of Famer under center for Pittsburgh. And my, my X Factor, you mentioned Jarvis Landry for the Browns. I think the X Factor is Ben Roethlisberger in this game. Um, ben Roethlisberger has been the X Factor all season, all season for this Steelers team. And if, if they want to contend against this Browns team, it's going to come down to can Roethlisberger control the clock? Can he move the ball? And can this O-line keep Ben Roethlisberger upright? Chase Claypool just won Offensive Player of the Week this past week. He looks good. The Steelers have had a rushing or had have had a 100 yard rusher in every game this season, except this past week against the Eagles. The Steelers offense looks good. The Steelers defense looks good. I think that this Brown Steelers matchup is going to, as you mentioned, come down to the end of the game and what team can clinch it out. And, you know, I, I look at a couple of the stats from Baker Mayfield and the Browns and with with the win over the Colts this past week, Baker Mayfield became the quarterback with the most wins at First Energy Stadium, beating Ben Roethlisberger for that title. And I mean, I, I sit here and the, the question mark with this Browns team has always been the defense. And I don't think that you, Jacob, would disagree with that. The defense has been the question for Cleveland. Um, I think that, that you're going to see... Said- I'm sorry. That that being that being said, the Browns' defense has showed up when it had to in the last two weeks. The game ceiling interception against Dallas, and the pick six in the forced safety against Indianapolis. But showing up when they have to is not going to do it this week. That being said, the Browns have never beaten the Steelers at Heinz Field. At least not to my knowledge. They have not beaten Ben Roethlisberger at Heinz Field. That much I do know. Because um, they, they did get a new stadium good a couple of years back. But the, the Browns are not successful at, at Heinz Field. Um, I give this game to Pittsburgh because they are at home. That is the pure reason I'm giving it to him. I think that Roethlisberger is going to be able to get a good feel for this new Browns offense. I think that this team is is good. I think, again, this is going to come down to that final fourth quarter. And that, unfortunately, has been the quarter where Baker Mayfield and this Browns offense have struggled lately. So I, I give the game to the Steelers probably by about a score. About a score is what I'd say. It's going to be a touchdown or a field goal. There's no doubt in my mind about that. 
I have to give the nod to the Browns, though, simply not because I'm a homer, simply because of the late game heroics of a few of the of the secondary, except for Andrew Sendejo. He he doesn't get that, but late game heroics able to stop it. Miles Garrett, I think, is going to be a huge factor, especially in the fourth quarter. It's going to be a fun weekend. It, It is. Zach, I promise we will talk about the NCAA football next week, but we're running out of time. So we're going to go right to underreaction and overreaction, and we'll start off with you, Zach. Alabama will not win the SEC. Underreaction or overreaction? I'm going to say this is an underreaction. The reason being is that Alabama was tested heavily against Ole Miss this week. Uh, players are going out, oh, they, they, they knew our call signs and blah, blah, blah. That's the only way they could have known it. No, I think it's that Alabama's not all that good. My brother is not going to be happy with me about that. My Uncle Peter will not be very happy with me about that, but I don't think it's true. I, I don't think that Alabama's all that good this year. Um, I think that Georgia still is pretty solid. Florida just lost to... Um, Mississippi State over the weekend. Uh, I, I think it's going to be tough, but I do not think Alabama wins the SEC. Alabama does play Georgia, the two and three seeds, respectively, this weekend. I think the winner of that game wins the SEC. I'll agree after beating there. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I will agree with you there. I think Georgia or Alabama will win it. I also think the winner of that game makes the college football playoffs, and the other one is out. All right, next one, overreaction or underreaction. After beating the Buffalo Bills on Tuesday night, the Tennessee Titans have shown they are the cream of the crop in the AFC, not just their own division. That is an overreaction. The Titans still have to play the Steelers, the Browns, and the Ravens. Arguably, the three best teams from the toughest division in football. We'll see what they can do but I don't think Ryan Tannehill can keep this team afloat playing the AFC North. Underreaction or overreaction? The Lakers are the, in the best situation to repeat next season. Overreaction. Way overreaction. Um, that being said, we have to wait to see what the offseason brings because you never know. But with Anthony Davis set to hit free agency, um, I don't know. Um, I think that the team in the best situation is actually the LA Clippers. I think the Clippers are going to be a lot better next year, especially with a head coach that's going to be destined to run with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, that being said, the East is going to be pretty competitive as well. The Boston Celtics look pretty solid, um, but I'm going to say that's an overreaction. I don't think the Lakers are in the best situation to repeat next season at this moment in time. Overreaction or underreaction? Okay. Anthony Davis will leave the Lakers this offseason. Overreaction. I think his best chance to succeed is with LeBron James at his side, and he will take over that Lakers number one spot when LeBron James leaves to play in Cleveland one season with his son. Which I'm going to keep saying that on here because I'm calling that's going to happen. Underreaction or overreaction? The Yankees will ch- uh, the Yankees choke again, but it's not the coach to blame. I'm going to say this is a reaction. I'm going to use your titled thing when you can't 
really give up a straight answer. I'm going to say this is a, just a reaction. Um, you can blame the coaches to an extent, but this is now the second year in a row where you've had probably the best team on paper in the MLB and you haven't been able to do it anything with it. Aaron Judge is one of the best transcendent young players in the MLB. Giancarlo Stanton can hit home runs like you wouldn't believe. This team looks really, really good, and they choke again. I think that partially this has to do with the players, but it's all about how you utilize the players. So I think it's a little bit of everybody's to blame on this, but I think that a lot of these Yankee players are in hot water this coming season. Overreaction or underreaction, the Dodgers being down 2-0 to the Braves will come back to win the World Series. Well, win the championship of the NLCS to then win the World Series. Overreaction, because I think they'll win the NLCS in seven games. But I don't think they're going to win the World Series against the Rays. Underreaction or overreaction? Antonio Brown, will I have a job before Le'Veon Bell? I think I know which way you're going with this. This is an overreaction. This is an easy overreaction. Um, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, uh, peas in a pod in Pittsburgh after both leaving in the same offseason. Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, and the Steelers organization was thrown under the bus by uh, Antonio Brown. Le'Veon Bell became a distraction, so they let him walk out of the building. And who looks crazy now? Um, I don't think that Antonio Brown will have a job in the NFL anytime soon. Uh, and I think you'll see Le'Veon Bell get signed to a team within the next week or so. So this is an obvious overreaction. After losing Dak Prescott for the season, Mike McCarthy's job as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys is safe this season. Jacob, overreaction or underreaction? Underreaction, simply because you have Andy Dalton backing him up. Andy Dalton has shown time and time again he is a good regular season quarterback, but he's still not going to win you a playoff game, even with the weapons he has in Dallas. I think that Mike McCarthy is going to be on the hot seat. Underreaction or overreaction, Dak Prescott will get a long-term deal to remain with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to say underreaction with an asterisk. I don't know if you're going to give Dak the long-term deal this offseason. Uh, that being said, uh, he just is, he's going to be coming off a major ankle injury. Is he going to be as mobile as he used to be? Um, there, there's always ifs when you come back from major surgeries like that. Um, I think that you're going to see him get maybe a year or two deal, maybe at the end of this offseason. But I, I think that Dak or that Dak Prescott will get a long-term deal done with the Cowboys. I think you turn if you're Jerry Jones and you turn to him and say this, you're coming off a major injury. I recognize this. I'm going to give you a one-year deal. Either that or I'm going to franchise tag you one more time. I promise you that if you perform through the first five or six weeks of the season, this next season, so the 2021 season, I will give you your long-term deal. I just need to see where this ankle is when you come back. That was actually going to be my second part to that. Does he get franchise tagged for next season? I, I think you could see it. I think that that's probably the smarter way, uh, but it's going to be, I don't know. It all depends on what Dak Prescott asks for in a one-year deal. I think he gets a one-year deal. Um, if it's cheaper just to give him the franchise tag, then I think they give him the franchise tag. So I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see. And I, again, I think Dak will stay with the Cowboys long-term. It's just a matter of uh, how long is long-term. 
Overreaction or underreaction, the Falcons, with their first pick in the NFL draft, will draft a quarterback. Underreaction, the Falcons are going to draft a quarterback, but they're also going to bring one in as a transition guy in free agency. Underreaction or overreaction, the Falcons will coach Lincoln Riley to the NFL. This is tough. Um, I think it's an overreaction only because teams have been trying to get Lincoln Riley to the NFL for a couple of seasons now. Of course, Lincoln Riley being the coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, The only reason I could see him coming to the NFL this year is Oklahoma does not look good. Does not look good. Um, They did just win the Red River rivalry over Texas. Um, But... You know, th- this is a team that's been getting beat up. They lost to Kansas State and TC or not TCU. Um, the name of the team is escaping me right now. Texas Tech. It might have been Texas Tech. I don't remember because it was Texas that lost to TCU. But but Oklahoma has now lost two games. Um, their chances for the uh, college football playoff are very very slim. Um, I could see it happening, especially because the Falcons are going to be looking to groom a new quarterback underneath whatever coach they bring in. But I think this is an overreaction. I don't think it's Lincoln Riley that goes to Atlanta. Jacob, overreaction or underreaction? With all the dominant defensive players we've seen this season, the NFL MVP will not be a quarterback, a wide receiver, a running back, but will be a defensive player. The first time we will see an MVP be a defensive player. No, yeah, the first time we'll see a defensive MVP in a while. I hate to say it, but it's an overreaction. And it's simply because of how these three players have performed. Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. Otherwise, Miles Garrett, if he kept playing the way he's played in the first quarter of the season, in my opinion, would be the number one pick to be MVP. Especially if he ends up leading the NFL in sacks, strip sacks, tackles for loss pressures, all that kind of stuff. You couldn't deny him that, but Miles Garrett is having himself a historic season in the one year he doesn't have a chance to win MVP. I agree with you for a little bit there. Um, I, I don't think that you'll see a defensive MVP. I think it's super tough in a league now that is being based so much around offenses. Um, I, I don't think that you'll see a defensive player win it. There's been, there's a lot of really good defensive players this year. Uh, Antoine Winfield, Devin White, and uh, Shaquille Barrett with the Buccaneers. Miles Garrett with Cleveland. T.J. Watt with Pittsburgh. There's been Aaron Donald still with the Rams. If Aaron Donald can have the seasons he's had in the past where he's set records, you're not going to see a defensive player get MVP, which is sad to say. But it it's the nature of the NFL right now. It's an offensive-driven league. And I think that's just about going to finish it up. So thank you to my co-host, Zach Smith, for the great discussions today. Our intro and outro music is by Bobby Quinn Creative Music Production. He is highly recommended by the Smith and Seidel Show. You can find him on Fiverr.com by searching Bobby Quinn C. We'd also like to thank Dylan Hunter, a student at Bowling Green State University that created our Smith and Seidel logo. Any final thoughts, Zach? It's going to be a fun weekend. It's all love this weekend, my friend. Steelers and Browns, it's always, it's, it's, a, it's a fun rivalry. It's a fun rivalry. But go Steelers, baby. Yeah, go Browns. 
Uh, here we go, Brownies. Here we go. Ooh, ooh. And that's going to do us. Signing off for Zach Smith. I am Jacob Seidel. Remember to stay safe, stay healthy, and I Ziggy Zumba. Thank you.